Canada's top court has struck down a section of the criminal code that could allow for extreme intoxication to be used as a defense in violent crimes. The ruling upheld the acquittal of a Calgary man who attacked a university prof after consuming alcohol and magic mushrooms. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Herald reporter Bill Kaufman joins me to discuss the initial court case, the Supreme Court ruling, and why some are concerned about a lack of protection for victims. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Bill, the Supreme Court of Canada came down with a fairly controversial decision recently in a case involving an assault that took place in Calgary. And I do want to get into the details of that case first, but to get listeners caught up on what it all hinges on, I'm hoping you can tell me about how Matthew Brown and Janet Hamnett crossed paths in early 2018. Now, uh, Matthew Brown, who was a student at Mount Royal University and actually was the had been the captain of their hockey team was at a party in an area of Southwest Calgary called Springbank Hill. And there was much drinking going on. Matthew apparently drank about a half a two six of spirits and a few beers. But on top of that, he also consumed 2.5 grams of magic mushrooms, or otherwise known as psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Ticket for me, that's a pretty big dose, <laughs> although obviously it depends on the potency of the mushrooms. But so he consumed all of that and it had obviously quite an effect on him. He jumped out of his clothes, he ran to a neighbor's home, broke into that home. And this neighbor, it was a complete coincidence that she was a Mount Royal University professor. And so he broke into her house. And she was awoken by his entry, and he attacked her with a broom handle. She tried to shield herself from the attack, and in the course of that, he permanently damaged one of her hands. Witnesses said that he was shrieking like an animal at the time. He left the home, and he he broke into another neighbor's home, and that's when police arrived and took him into custody. So he was charged with break and enter, aggravated assault and mischief. And he went to court. His trial was in 2019. What was the argument at trial on the part of his lawyers? Well, his lawyers argued that um, they had noted, first of all, they had, his lawyers had noted that a pre-trial judge had ruled against section 33.1 of the criminal code which was written, specifically written, to prevent extreme intoxication to be used as a defense in violent cases. So his defense picked up on that and said, yeah, you know, if he was blacked out, he was in automatism state, and he had no awareness of his actions at the time of the assault, so he should be acquitted. He had no idea what he was doing. He had no consciousness. And then ultimately, was that the finding of the judge in his initial trial? Yes. The judge noted the earlier judge's um, decision and the arguments made by his defense and ruled that, yes, he should be acquitted and that that section of the criminal code was unconstitutional. That decision was taken to the Alberta Court of Appeal. And uh, 14 months later, there was a ruling. Last summer, there was a ruling by the Court of Appeal 
that overturned his acquittal. The judges there said that consuming large quantities of drugs, there's a well-known potential consequence of that, that it could very well lead to violent acts. So therefore, there is no excuse. This is not a viable defense. I mean, it's, it's known that this could potentially lead to this kind of thing. So he was convicted. Mm-hmm. And sentencing was going to be arranged. And uh, before that happened, Brown's lawyers took it to the Supreme Court of Canada. And last week, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Brown and overturned that conviction, reinstated his initial acquittal. So we have this case, this college student consumes alcohol, consumes significant quantity of magic mushrooms, blacks out, attacks a professor, severely injures her, permanently damaging her hand, acquitted at trial, found guilty on appeal, and then it's argued to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court overturns that court of appeal decision reinstating his conviction. What's the argument the Supreme Court makes in its ruling? Well, they said that convicting someone for how they conducted themselves while at a state of automatism violates the principles of fundamental justice. The, the criminal justice system is based on the concept of personal responsibility. And there can be no personal responsibility when that person is blacked out There's no conscious awareness of what they're doing at the time of the offense. And if the prosecution is unable to prove that these acts were done voluntarily, then this person can't be guilty. And uh, at this, But it's quite curious at the same time, these Supreme Court justices, who were unanimous in that decision, by the way, there was, there was no dissent. At the same time, these Supreme Court justices said there's a need for Parliament to pass new legislation protecting the victims of these kinds of crimes, particularly vulnerable people like children and women. Mm -hmm. And it should also be noted that at the same time they, they rendered this decision on Brown, the Supreme Court of Canada also ruled on two other cases, similar cases in Ontario involving automatism. Both of these were domestic assault cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them involved a homicide and one of them involved um, serious stabbing. Both of them were stabbing incidents. And it ruled in, in favor of acquitting, it upheld the acquittal of one of them and ordered a new trial for the other. So there were three rulings along the same lines. But at the same time, they insisted that you know, new legislation is needed to prevent this defense from victimizing the vulnerable. You'll forgive me being a little shocked by that. Like the idea that they can turn around and say that a piece of legislation that was enacted to protect victims from people accused of violent crimes from using this defense, ruling that provision unconstitutional but at the same time saying we need something to protect victims. I mean, the decision alone seems fairly significant, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the significance of this decision and what people have said in the wake of this ruling from the Supreme Court. Well, obviously, the MRU professor who was injured in this incident, uh, she issued a statement last week right when this was handed down, and she, of course, lamented it, saying she's extremely disappointed and she fears for future victims in such cases. And she, she believes that this gives such offenders carte blanche. It absolves them from any kind of responsibility. And that's obviously a, a big concern among the public. 
I think that the problem with the criminal code section was that a lot of experts believe it was poorly written and was really open to interpretation. And that's exactly what we've seen. There was a need for clarity. And, well, the Supreme Court seems to have delivered that clarity, even though it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Federal Justice Minister David Lametti, following this ruling last week, said, yeah, the federal government is looking at this and they're looking seriously at reviewing this. But he also noted, as do other legal experts, that these kinds of cases are extremely rare. These are extremely exceptional cases of automatism. And that it's we're not talking about somebody getting very drunk or just very high and being of conscious mind and committing crimes and being acquitted because of that frame of mind. I mean, these are cases of blackout. And these are very extraordinary cases that aren't going to come around all the time. We'll be right back. In the case of Brown, we're talking about an individual who doesn't appear to have had a violent past before the incident and in his own testimony had said that he doesn't have any memory of any of this. And that's not to excuse what happened to the professor, Janet Hamnett, but we are talking about very extreme cases here, right? Like the idea that someone could turn around and try and use this as defense in the case of drunkenly sexually assaulting somebody. Yes. We don't want to see that happen, or at least I get the sense that even legal experts don't want to see that kind of defense being raised in the future. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, it's been made quite clear by the Supreme Court that they would not come to the same decision on those kinds of cases. There's just no way. And as you mentioned, obviously, Brown's lawyers emphasized that this was completely, totally out of character for him. He would never have committed these acts if he was conscious. He didn't have a criminal record. He's a very good character. And it's just, there's no way he would have, they, this would have happened if he was conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's what the Supreme Court of Canada is essentially agreed with that. And so Justice Minister David Lametti, as you said, he said the government is reviewing the decision to see what effect it could have on victims as well as criminal law. What would be the next steps here? The, the federal government would have to bring forward new legislation, correct? Yes. Amendments to the criminal code, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That section of the criminal code, it would be, maybe it would be strengthened. It would be made more specific. It would perhaps close off any loophole that would allow this kind of uh, automatism defense. Yeah. And that's essentially what the Supreme Court is suggesting, even though they made this ruling in favor of that defense. So between now and and whenever the federal government brings forward legislation, is there a concern that you could see other defenses like this in cases? Like, is the Supreme Court ruling automatically just strips that provision of the criminal code away? It would seem to be that case, but I mean, obviously, again, it would be a very narrow interpretation. Mm -hmm. As it says, these were these three cases. Sure, it could open up that defense. You'd still have to prove it. And again, these are extraordinary circumstances. But yeah, you know, it's sure. And so we heard from Janet Hamnett, who raised the concerns about what could happen with victims. Have we heard from Matthew Brown in this case yet? Has he spoken out since the ruling? No, he has not. He's lying pretty low. He has to be happy with the decision, but no, we haven't heard from him. At trial, he expressed a fair amount of remorse for what happened, correct? Yes, absolutely he did. And he'd be reluctant to show any kind of jubilation at this ruling. 
for obvious reasons, understandable reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to note, and I've mentioned to you before, you know, when you were talking about psilocybin, it's really made its way into the mainstream as far as therapy for, you know, mental health therapy, PTSD, trauma, palliative care. Mm-hmm. This is a psychedelic drug that really entered the mainstream and ha- apparently has some real constructive uses. But obviously, those are under very controlled dosages and uh, closely supervised uses in therapy when we're discussing the substance by itself. I mean, in a case like this, did the Supreme Court touch on the fact that in addition to taking a significant amount of psilocybin, he also consumed a significant amount of alcohol? Did they weigh that as part of their discussion, that it was a totality of what he had taken, or were they mostly focusing on the fact that he consumed a a psychedelic substance that can have fairly strong effects on a person? I think they were focused on that. I mean, clearly that's really what causes automatism in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly is a fascinating case. I know we'll have ripple effects in terms of the justice system, but definitely highlights an area of case law that I think a lot of people are surprised to know that there's a debate going on around that. So, Bill, I appreciate your time. No worries. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Bill Kaufman. More from him at calgaryherald.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.